0: Well, hello and welcome to everybody listening. This is the seventh episode of Run Amok with Rex and Chuck and possibly our most dangerous conversation yet because we will be at high risk of alienating probably most of our audiences. Our opinions start to come down in full force because tonight we're having a very special discussion about music, which is such a broad topic to to start with, right? So the 10,000-foot view is going to be things like What makes music good? What does music mean to us? What's some of our favorite music? And without producer Nate, we're actually down to just one musician on the crew, right? One musically inclined person on the crew. That's Rex. Uh, I'm Chuck. I don't have any musical talent. So we brought in some special local talent. A beloved friend of ours goes by the name of Fred. Good evening, Fred. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and tell the folks at home uh, what your role is at our church? Uh, Primarily in a technical aspect,
1: um, I run the soundboard and and help with those types of just producing that way.
2: And he is a valuable asset to the team. He actually, uh, as I mentioned in a previous episode, is the one who got me involved with Rockridge. He's the one who uh, reached out to me, invited me to come check it out. And uh, the rest is history.
0: Yeah. You know, Fred, you've got a real talent for that. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but... Thanks. I've seen you at least invite, if not bring in, so many people into our church. And I don't know if I've ever thanked you for that. So you have my gratitude. So the
1: thing with Rex is that you could see God's hand throughout that whole process. If you look at the events that happened and led up to it, it was pretty cool to... Look back now and and see all the events and the way they unfolded. Pretty cool.
0: Rex very obviously needed more God in his life. I so. did, yeah. Well, I guess we all do, right? <laughs> we that's, all do. That's part of the lesson. But, uh, you know, this is a huge privilege for me to sit down at table with not just two guys who I dearly love, but two guys who, I think, understand music on such a higher level than I do, who appreciate music probably on a higher level level than I do. Two guys who I rely on to really guide some of my thoughts about music. Um, the opportunity to sit and, and talk about this beautiful art form of two people who hold it so so close, really central in their heart, is, is an absolute privilege. Um, so I'm just going to throw this question out there to both you guys. What are some of your favorite kinds of music? What to you makes a song good or great? Like what What's good music to you? Why don't you go ahead and take that one, Fred, if you're ready? Sure. Uh, Well, for me, the first band I ever
1: loved was KISS. But if you go to my childhood, my dad started me off, I think, with the Beatles and then the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys. But I really connected with KISS and people knock them for the imagery part of it. But I think after 40 plus years of knocking it out of the park and filling up stadiums and arenas that... You know, it's more than just four guys wearing makeup, spit and blood. They, they obviously write songs that connect with people. So for me, it was always the guitar riff was the first thing I always ever noticed. Ooh, yeah. A good hook in a song draws me in, and then a strong chorus. You know, and, and because I'm a fan of hair metal or the genre of that, that hair m- metal era, you know, generally songs about girls... Uh But I think that became cliche because that was what was expected of every artist. Well, you have to write songs about girls, so that's kind of what they did. To a point where I think it became tongue-in-cheekish. Well, you needed to write songs that people were going to relate to.
0: Is that like Girls, Girls, Girls? (laughs) Yeah. Cherry Pie? Yeah,
1: Cherry Pie. You know, just everybody had to write kind of that naughty song that was kind of naughty but not. You know? Yeah. It's still catchy.
0: And then, like, Steel Panther, their whole career is just, like, a play on that, right? Right. They're a joke.
1: And Mm -hmm. and their whole goal is to kind of make fun of that era. Which, they probably go a little overboard with it, but... Now, you like that band, right? Kind of, sorta. A little bit? You enjoy the joke. I enjoy the joke. Yeah. Like, if you listen to their riffs, they're stolen from very, very popular songs, like Almost straight away, so. yeah. And they make no bones about it that they stole the riff, right? So, what about you, Rex?
0: What's good music to you, bro?
2: Well, we've we've gone over it before. Uh, definitely into the the metal genre. Um, I I do really enjoy that '80s hair metal stuff. But I would say my first real love um, for a band was Iced Earth, which is a band that came about I think in the very late 80s early 90s they derive a lot of their influence from bands like Iron Maiden Um, just kind of that that feel having really good rhythmic sections and really fun um, lead guitars Um, and then just their theme to their songs it's not it's not like what Fred was talking about it's not about girls it was more about heaven and hell and, and just mystical things and, and fantasy. Um, they've done a couple albums that have been entirely based on this whole fantasy that the guitarist songwriter came up with, um, which is just really fun for me and really interesting to me. It's one of those things for me to escape as, as you've heard is one of the reasons why I enjoy certain art forms is to kind of separate from reality. Um, and this band could be a big part of maybe why I enjoy that so much, because they I grew up t- with that. I grew up listening to them since middle school. They're up there with uh, also Blind Guardian, very similar. Uh, Blind Guardian's maybe a little bit more thrashy. So I'm into that stuff. I'm into that heavier stuff. I enjoy Metallica. I've always been a fan of them. I, f- I feel like Metallica is just so... Uh, they're just amazing songwriters. Um, they're really, really talented at coming up with those riffs that just really stick with you. They're yeah. really catchy. They're really dry. When it comes to
0: their riff writing, I've always have had this feeling that, like, everybody else is hanging out on Earth, and Metallica's up in the stratosphere.
2: So yeah. if we were to pose the same question to you, the answer would be Metallica.
0: Well, they're my favorite band, like, of all time. Not even close, by not just a mile, by a thousand miles, you know.
2: I wore this shirt for you tonight. I appreciate that, yeah. yeah.
0: But they were actually not the first band I really got into. Like when I was young, the first song I remember loving was "Secret Agent Man," <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and I don't yeah. even know who wrote it. I don't even know who plays it. It's but one of those one-hit wonder guys, isn't it? I couldn't tell you. I bet you. I <laughs> yeah. bet you we
1: can get Kathy to chime in on that. We'll see. But we'll it wait was for her on. Answer.
0: It was on the soundtrack for Ace Ventura Two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and. You know, I saw the movie in theaters, and I just fell in love with that song. It just was so much fun, and it was so catchy. Um, So I bought the soundtrack. It's actually the first album I ever bought was the soundtrack to Ace Ventura, part two, Um, which, you know, Corey would tell you is better than part one. She's wrong, but the soundtrack (laughs) is banging. And um, (laughs) Secret Agent Man just it was on loop all the time. My poor parents, you know, they bought me a boombox for Christmas, and that was a big mistake for them because they had to hear that song over and over and over and over and over again. The Mortal Kombat theme was also in there somewhere. You know, probably one okay. of the best songs to come out of the early 90s. That was 90s, a good one. But,
2: yeah. A little bit of techno.
0: Yeah. But then by the time, like, preschool is ending, kindergarten starting, uh, you know, I had heard the Black Album and Ride the Lightning mm-hmm. through the walls from my brother's room, and there was just something about it that I fell in love with. And the Offspring was real big at the time, too. You know, Smash had come out, probably still their best album. And something about even young Charles just loved that sort of punker vibe, you know, high energy, thrashy kind of sound. In retrospect, I think part of what I love just about that genre, and sometimes I'll actually prefer just some punk songs to even heavy metal, is just how much energy goes into it. Like, if you were to ask me, part of what makes a song good is if the band sounds like they're having fun playing it or if they're not having fun at least they care yeah i'll even sacrifice some musicianship for that energy like the misfits none of them are great musicians right <laughs> and that's a band that's going to be remembered more for their image and their stage performance than for their actual music you know if i asked you guys to name me one misfit song could you do it
2: I uh, no, no i don't listen to them. Mm,
0: all right <laughs> but uh you know, everybody knows that logo and Glenn Danzig, yes. of course, is an right. icon, made an icon really by that band. They record their music with so much energy and force and they sound like they are putting everything they have into every song that they record to the point that it's it's like infectious. You know, you mm-hmm. want to listen to it because it sounds like they wanted to play it. And I'll take that energy and, and give up some of the great musicianship that say Metallica brings to the table. Just, just to connect with it on that level, yeah. you know, to hear music that sounds like these guys really cared about this. You know, the singers going ham on every single verse, <laughs> right? That was Glenn Danzig's whole gimmick. He had that wonderful voice, but man, he really throws himself into every word he sings. Metallica also puts a lot of energy. They into do. Their music.
2: After seeing them live, I'm very, uh, just kind of enamored with with how much care and effort and an obvious time that they put into knowing their songs because they nailed it when we saw them yeah like i i was listening hard especially to kurt playing his leads like i was um trying to be like is that something i could play i'm like no i can't i'm not anywhere near the musician that he is Um, but i did i am able to listen to it and and appreciate just how smooth he is how capable he is and how much even in the live show he he was kind of freestyling too. He wasn't just playing exactly what was on the album. He was playing something a little bit unique, a little bit fresh for for the live show and it still fit. It was still in key. It was still um, playing at that tempo that just amazing shredding that he's doing on that. He's just he's doing sweeps and all this stuff. Yeah. It's we it's were, amazing to see.
0: And you and I were at a show by the way where they had every excuse to mail it in. They're playing at yeah. a basketball arena in Fresno. Yeah. For goodness sake. But, but they didn't. Yeah, they brought in 110 They did. Now, those are some of you know our favorite bands, favorite genres. But can you guys have fun? Like, Do you, do you guys have fun? Do you guys enjoy listening to stuff outside of your own genre? Fred, you and I have yeah, some I'm, radio experience I'm, I'm, there.
1: I'm way there. Yeah, I think I've played a little bit for you, and Rex won't listen to it, <laughs> is this hybrid of country music and hip-hop that I've taken a liking to.
0: On well, Rex's defense, that does sound horrifying. <laughs> it's
1: pretty cool
2: well cool isn't uh you know what it's cool for somebody but yeah that's a little bit too far for me i grew up a chance i grew up if you up, don't
0: give it a chance how do you know
2: uh, okay give me like three songs later and i'll listen to them yeah i'll give it a chance well,
0: okay so is this like old town roads like, Can you that, no, okay, that no, no 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 can that you not, name three songs or well, one yeah I, i've got them in my all right.
1: so we'll do that later.
2: Well, no, right now, name them for listeners, if um, you think you can. Gosh. Or even just one.
1: Just one. Okay, I was just listening to him the other day. The artist is Colt Ford, obviously a stage name. <laughs> the song's about chicken and biscuits. You know what, I think I might have heard this song. <laughs> it sounds a little familiar. <laughs> so you've got, you know, almost a country background musically. Then you've got this hip hop beat and then this big giant guy that says he weighs over 300 pounds and I certainly believe him doing kind of a rap over this thing and it's a real interesting hybrid. And I just stumbled across it on, um, you know, listen to Amazon music and, and I'm like, this is actually kind of interesting. Yeah. And I'll give anything a chance. Yeah. You don't Either. even BTS. <laughs>
2: That's what I was just going to say, actually. You have in your household right now kind of this overthrowing of Korean pop music that's kind of worming its way into your home.
1: Oh, not worming. It's It's yeah. It's it's fully taken
2: over. Now, that's because, not because of you. No. But because you have a daughter.
1: 13-year-old daughter.
2: Who just loves BTS.
0: And to Fred's credit, he hasn't shut it down.
1: Yeah, because, you know, people could have looked at KISS and said, you know, don't listen to that, because I got into KISS fourth, fifth grade is when that started. I mean, you know, here you got a young kid who's running around the house singing about his love gun, and I had no clue what I was singing. Right. Now, there's a movie that explains that song a bit.
2: <laughs> I don't think I need a movie to explain it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you might say there's
0: several movies that explain it.
1: Yeah, but there's like a, a, a movie called Role Models. Okay. Oh, ro- okay. I've seen that <laughs> okay. one. Yeah. yeah. They actually, the guy goes, you know what the song's about? And he tells the kid and he's like. That's a
2: great, uh, terrible movie. It is. It is. Yeah. And yeah. they
1: all take on this persona of Kiss, which makes it. Oh, cool. that's right. That's right. They did Kisanthium. like the
2: the live action role playing at the, towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And that was their their group. That was a, I got to have to watch that movie again.
0: It's pretty funny. Yeah. But you don't have a lot of hard edges when it comes to music. You know, you're you're kind of open to a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know, through my dad, I became a
1: big fan of smooth jazz. I guess it's not, not is George Benson smooth jazz? I don't know. Shame on you, Chris. I know. He's like a world-renowned guitar player.
2: Uh, Um, I'm I'm terrible Lee
1: Rittenauer is a jazz guitar player. And so I was open to hearing other stuff. And, you know, if something's popular, you can't say it sucks. I mean, I can, in my head, think I don't appreciate that style. Like, a lot of today's music is computer-generated, and I think the artistry is taken out of it and the skill set of somebody playing instruments when you can go to a computer and, you know, keep working on the computer to get the beat you want, and then you can go get sampled sounds and mm-hmm. play. The, there's a talent to that, no doubt, but, you know, is it true artistry and music, you know? I don't know. The world will judge, and I think those are the things that come
0: and go. I think it definitely takes away the need for ingenuity in music, you know, when you can just go to a computer-generated thing like... Uh, you know, I did see a short documentary about the production of Metallica's Black Album one time, and it was fascinating just the discussion between the bassist and the interviewer when they were asking him, how did you guys get that sound um, to start the song? It's that bass crack sound. And he said, well, we tried a lot of different instruments. I ended up bringing in a 12-string bass. Ooh. And we just played with it and played with it and played with it until we could get exactly the right sound, right? If you just have a computer database... You can just go in and grab whatever sound you want and plug it in. You know, it, it, I think it takes away that ingenuity, right? It takes yeah. away the need for it. One of my favorite
1: all-time bands, uh, the bass player for that band invented, in theory, the 12-string bass uh, cheap trick. I think there's a 12-string bass in the song Jeremy by Pearl Jam, the intro. There's an
0: intro where there's 12-string bass and there's just an interesting tone to it. Did having this openness to a lot of different genres help you through uh, your radio career? So for those who don't know, both Fred and I actually have, I don't want to say extensive, but maybe that's the right, I don't know. We both have an amount of experience in the FM radio world. Professionally, I
1: was on the air as an on-air personality for over seven years. And then if you count the college radio station, you know, three sure. or four more. that counts. It was yeah. on the air. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the... Fullerton College radio station ha- had a range of about you know three or four miles, you know, radius around the tower. But <laughs> that's more than I ever Whatever, had. you know, the light bulb <laughs> threw off more power than that yeah. tower, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> well, I have to ask you because I made him do it. Can you give us your
1: radio voice? Um, if you get in real close, maybe a little bit like this. So I learned how to manipulate the microphone. They have different. They have special microphones for radio, and you can get an engineer who usually goes in and tweaks all, all the stuff. So it's not like concert sound where okay. somebody's adjusting the EQ. They pay some guy a ton of money to go in and then they throw a compressor. So everybody is compressed into this vocal range, even talking yeah. to where everybody's got a huge set of cojones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> on, on on air. I mean there's yeah. a lot of bass in that there's lo- yeah. There's yeah.
2: Okay, well, maybe I'll play around with it post-recording and see if I can make it sound real.
0: Yeah, Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, man, I wish I I felt about music when I was younger like I do now. I mean, I still have some pretty hard edges when it comes to music. You know, it's like there's a very narrow scope of stuff I love, a broader scope of stuff I like, and then a huge scope of stuff I don't like, you know? Uh, But it certainly would have made my radio career a lot easier because out of the, you know, handful of years I was doing it, there was only a range of about a year that I got to work at a station that played music that I like, you know. So I had to introduce and and end a lot more breaks um, talking about, like, the Bengals and Taylor Swift and Katy Perry than Mm -hmm. I did about, like, Metallica and Tool and Social Distortion, you know, and and some of my other favorites, (laughs) Um, and and honestly my hatred for a lot of those groups made it really really hard especially when i worked at you know the army run radio station because it's like i'm on a base full of paratroopers you know airborne infantrymen how am i supposed to get them hyped to hear party in the usa by miley cyrus
2: whose idea was it to have that
0: kind of music Some guy in a suit who came up with the format and fell in love with his own creation and then forced it on the rest of us. What a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, Well, for me,
1: you know, I broke into Christian radio where they played contemporary Christian songs, which probably created a very big distaste for it. And I think we're getting into it at some point here. So Yeah, let's do it. When you guys want to get into it. Um, Let's go now. so, 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 Chuck, what I used to do was... I worked on the personality part of being an on-air personality because I hated the music so much that the station, the second station I worked at, had what they called dummy lights. And did you work digitally or with carts that looked like 8-track tapes? Not
0: everything I did was digital. So
1: we had carts. And so every song was on a cart, which looks like an 8-track tape, which technically is a 2-track tape player that's just on an endless loop. And you... Push it into a machine and you started the machine via the remote on the board. So that station had dummy lights. So when you're coming to the end of the song, a red light in the studio would turn on, giving you about 30 seconds, knowing the end of the song's coming. So what I used to do was I turn the monitor in the studio off and just start working on my next on-air bit or whatever I was talking about, be it weather Um, But I did a lot of research on those artists, even though I didn't like them, because that's just the way I am, to learn facts and put together a book of bio stuff. Because every record label would send out the bio of the artist. Well, I would photocopy it and put it in a notebook alphabetically. And so when I'm playing a song coming into a station break, you know, that was, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And did you know that he did this, this, and this to okay. throw out little tidbits for my on-air personality part.
2: What put a little, well, you said it put like a bad taste in your mouth. Like what What part of that did that?
1: Well, In and of itself, you have to take, step back and look at what is Christian media? What is Christian radio? Who's it for and what is, what is it for? You know, I probably wasn't the most mature Christian at the time, but... You know, if if you look at it now, Christian music's for Christians and not for outreach. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the songs. Look what they're talking about. You know, 80% of them all talk about the same subject matter over and over and over. And for goodness sakes, a lot of the bands do a Chris Tomlin song, you know, and you probably have six bands that do one of his songs on an album because it's a hot song, and there's nothing wrong with that. But... When we say it's outreach, and and, and I kind of take umbrage with that because it's not. It's like, hey, you're part of this enclosed group. You don't need to listen to that stuff anymore. And I think that's why it's not excellent.
2: Okay. Um, So it's missing that outreach factor.
1: I think so. Do you think it ever had that? Well, you know, we were joking earlier about what was your on-air name. And I said, well, you know, I just refused to change mine. But that's part of it. I mean, you know, if, if you got a really unpronounceable name, then maybe, yeah, you come up with an on-air name. But there was a big thing on, hey, you know, we got to have this squeaky clean personality thing, and there, there's a lack of honesty, I guess. Okay. And realness, you know. In radio, you want to connect. Like, you're talking to a person and connect with that person. But when you're putting on a persona, are you an actor? Or are you an air personality? And with Christian media, you can't be yourself, I feel, and just be honest and go, man, I had a really bad day today that's shaking my faith. And, you know, because that's when aren't we supposed to love each other and lift each other up and gather around. But when you're always expected to be this person on the TV or radio or whatever that media is, a singer. You know you've got to have that I've got it together 24/ seven and and you know we hear even recently you know a famous Christian artist you know falling, and you know it's interesting to see, do we gather around that person and love them, or do we shun them and go, "Yeah, he's done?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I think a lot of that was exposed in this really I think we can still say John Christ is funny. Uh, oh. Even though he's gotten himself in some hot water, you know, but uh, man, he did this on fire skit about Christian music, and the whole joke was just how like derivative it, it can be, and and that sort of forced showmanship, right? Where they're, they the record label is telling the artist, this is who you're going to be, this is what you're going to sound like, um, and you know, if you sign the contract, we'll let you cover this other song, you know, that, right? And then everybody. Right that's that's what makes him sign right i I love
1: that skit yeah that that, it's because in a way it nails it like because it's so literally true yeah
0: it's done so well um and i think it's it's so funny because it exposes something that a lot of us probably know about the genre we can at least sense it that it is many times very derivative you know that it is really boxed in it feels like there's a range you know you alluded to this earlier of only three or four things that a contemporary christian song (laughs) is allowed to speak about or or sing about you know yeah i mean i i hear a lot of it um especially you know in the car uh with (laughs) my wife or other believers you know and i almost get the feeling like if you just sat and listened to contemporary christian music if, if you didn't read the gospel for yourself if that was The primary way that you were informed about Christianity, you would get this idea that the worst possible sin a person could commit is feeling ashamed about anything they've ever done or allowing themselves to be held back from just being who they genuinely are because the songs are that vague and they talked about that singular theme so much. It is so much about like, shame's not going to hold me back anymore or like, I'm not going to be afraid anymore, you know? It's, it's unfortunate, but I think it was, I think it's Bethel music. Maybe it's Hillsong. I don't know. It's one of them, right? It's either this flavor of vanilla or that flavor of vanilla, but uh-huh. it, it's one of them. Uh, they took this Johnny Cash song called Ain't No Grave that I guess has roots somewhere like way back in church music. But the theme of the original song that Johnny Cash does an amazing version of is bodily resurrection It's all about like being resurrected at the end of time and and meeting Jesus and and how he has this faith that even if he goes into the grave, it's not going to hold him down. Like someday he's going to rise out of the grave. Well, then the Bethel music version, the only part they kept is the bridge. And then the rest of it is about how shame is a tomb and how that's not going to hold them down anymore and how shame is a sin.
2: It's definitely made to to be like a feel-good experience for you rather than a let's give something to God or let's face reality. It definitely carries that, and that's what we're seeing, what we're hearing when we're listening to it.
0: Yeah. One of the things I've really noticed, um, and you guys can tell me whether I'm way off base or somewhere close to truth with this, Christian music seems to be – it's almost like it's meant to be experienced live, Right? Like you are supposed to be there worshiping, feeling the spirit move in that moment, and maybe it just doesn't translate well to recorded media. Maybe that just sucks too much of the the energy or the spontaneity out of it. Because I, I think that might be the thing I notice most when I listen to Christian radio stations is that the music just lacks like an urgency. It lacks the kind of energy that I was talking about earlier. Sometimes the singers even sound bored going through the song and some, you know, maybe they're trying to create a certain atmosphere. Like this song is serious. This is serious stuff. So we are going to sing in a serious way. Yeah. But man, most of them just don't sound like they're having fun at all.
2: Yeah. Or like they're really
0: investing themselves in it. And maybe it's just meant to be experienced live because, you know, when I listen to a, a live worship band, especially our worship band that you do the sound for and you lead, man, it's, it's totally different. I love Christian music in that context.
1: I well, agree.
2: I think we need to separate something, though. I, I don't agree that they're the same music. I think what we do on a Sunday is worship music. I think you what you hear on the radio, I don't think most of that is worship music. Can you worship to it? Yes, you can. It's bad pop. <laughs> it's bad pop. <laughs> But I wouldn't call it worship necessarily because so much of it, again, is focused on you feeling good rather than look how awesome God is. Even though that's in the songs, you get a sense from these songs that it's more about you feeling good. And that's them trying in their way to, to be outreach, trying to be like, look what you're missing. Like you could feel better about your life if you were a Christian because you would be singing songs like this, like your life would turn into this. But I think it's an inaccurate portrayal of what it means to be a Christian. It's a very narrow perspective of what it is. And they've really kind of focused in on that in in the radio.
1: Yeah. You know, um, wow, I'm going to sound really bad here. I think we applaud mediocrity in Christian music. You know, number one, it's a, it's a niche market, right? When I was in Christian radio, they said a, you know the the Christian radio market makes up about ten percent of the radio market, so ten percent of your listeners connect with it of of the entire pie of all radio listeners so it's pretty small now you're taking probably the same thing of doing that with musicians and let's let's be honest performing on worship level is different than performing day in, day out, where it's your job. Yeah, You know, uh, we don't, as consumers, demand, you know, excellence in in that music, you know, that really puts our faith out there. Um, I wish we would. I mean, I think there's some really great bands out there. I used to really like Switchfoot. They've kind of watered down a little bit over the past few years. But, you know, they've stuck to what they do. They've made a crossover and they've made a big name for themselves. But I also see bands like that trying to distance themselves from the Christian media market because, you know, who wants to play all your shows at a church with 300 people? And maybe you make enough because that's your job to get to the next city. And instead of having a decent meal, go have Taco Bell somewhere. You know, (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, I I don't know if you guys want to get into my brother used to be in a well-known Christian band and he had five guys, a road manager and just a trailer with their gear. And, you know, sometimes they'd get two hotel rooms total for everybody to share and Taco Bell night after night.
0: Mm. You can only eat so many Chalupas. Well,
1: yeah, I would, you
0: know, Taco Bell's not good for Fred. <laughs> if you guys could start a not together, right? This is individual question. But if you guys could start a contemporary Christian band, right? And it was guaranteed that you guys were going to break into radio station circulation, right? You guys were going to land somewhere on the CCM chart. What do you think you guys would do differently? Like what would be the mission statement for your band that is going to change this genre somehow what are you guys going to bring to the table if you had that ability you
1: know chuck i i don't know if i would even want to i i have more respect for artists now that i know are christians that go and do a great job on a secular level because they're truly doing outreach you know it's kind of like preaching to the choir mentality you know
2: yeah that's a good point They're they're actually, they're not isolating themselves to this Christian culture. They're actually getting themselves out into the secular world and playing alongside these people who aren't Christians.
1: You know, one of my other favorite bands, Striper, who's actually really bold in their faith. But I think musically, they're top-notch musicians. Yeah, I'd agree. As hard rock
0: musicians. They're first Christian band to go platinum. Platinum, yeah. Striper. Yeah.
2: You know what they do that I feel is great is they actually play what they like. A lot of the Christian bands now will play something that they either think a small local church band will be able to learn and play, which is great. There is a need for that. You need less skilled musicians to be able to play your worship song if you want your worship song to be played in churches. Because that's that's just the reality of things. You're not going to have a ton of skilled musicians in every small church Um, and then the other thing that they're doing is they're trying to appeal to this wide general audience instead of playing what they want to do and and writing songs they want to write I think they're just trying to play and write songs that they think is going to reach everyone but it's kind of this false mentality because now you're you're playing less than what you're capable of because you're not playing what you're really interested in. You're not playing what really drives you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I hear you. To Absolutely. her credit,
0: and uh, hold your groans if you can, but um, that is one thing that I really do appreciate about uh, Lauren Daigle as a Christian artist. is She she seems to make music that she would want to hear. You know, She is from Louisiana, so when she said, I want to make a Christmas album it was not the over the top dramatic vocals that one might expect from like a contemporary christian music christmas album it's a southern blues jazz album and it's her take on all these different christmas songs i mean it's you know wire brushes on the drums it's it's a trumpet it's you know it's it's this beautiful southern style that she grew up in and got to put onto an album uh, her second major album look up child There's not every song, right? I'm sure she loves every single one of the songs on that album, but there's a couple that bring an almost Motown, like Southern blues-ish tone to that album that I think she really loved. And there in those songs is that energy that I'm, I'm looking for and that I'm talking about, particularly one called Still Rolling Stones. Man, she is so on fire in that song, and it sounds like she is enjoying singing it. Um, to the point that you can't help but kind of love it along with her.
2: So she's not just playing songs that is trying to reach a whole bunch of people. She's playing songs that she likes and she wants to do. And And
0: she's playing songs that you probably would not hear on a Sunday service, both because they're not really meant to be replicated, I don't think. Certainly not by like a, hey, this is our five-person church worship band, right? Because I think Still Rolling Stones actually incorporates like a, a choir at some point. And there's a heavy clap track and all that that yes. I do not have the rhythm to keep up with. But um, sure you do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks, Fred. But uh, don't yeah, sell it, yourself. Sure. It's it's not music that's meant to be replicated in someone's church experience. It's music that's meant to be heard and appreciated and respond responded to. I'd say in a, a spiritual way. You know, mm-hmm. it's meant to tap into something in your heart and in your spirit, and it does accomplish that. So, you know, I can't I can't just carpet bomb all of contemporary christian music because there is some something that i'm looking for is out there yeah you know and
2: it is out there there are artists who are doing what they love and it's gonna be noticeable when you listen to their music you're gonna hear it in their voice you're gonna hear it in just a unique sound to their music rather than just kind of the same old remix sound unfortunately capitalism is a little bit to blame for that buddy I bet you back off. <laughs> all right. Uh, Rex has a point. Yeah.
0: Um, no, because it's only because, you know what, this is, we can table this conversation and talk no, about no, no, the relationship no, no. between capitalism it, and music at a different time. <laughs>
2: you're getting real defensive over there.
1: So, so musical integrity. We'll, we'll, we'll steer it that way then. How's that? Okay. That's we, fine. Cause we can tie it in. We um, can. Rex. Yeah. We can, we can tie that in. We'll so, in. so let me tell you this story. My brother was in a well-known Christian band back in the 90s. And the album before he joined the band was already recorded. And when it was released, the band itself was like, this isn't the way it was supposed to sound. The record label took the tracks, took the distortion off the guitars, cleaned up a bunch of the parts, and made it very kind of vanilla, generic... So there's your capitalism because the label felt it was too edgy, not yeah. what the artist wanted, or the producer wanted, but the label thought, "Well, this is a little too edgy," thus it won't make us money.
2: They were more concerned with making money than making something that was well, unique, artist, and, artistic, and integrity. Yeah, yeah. yes, that's unfortunate, in it but it ha- it happens. And we I, I can't I'm,
1: change I'm, I'm, it. We're not going to change it, but well, w- but we can be honest and call it what it is and we can do our part in keeping it legit and keeping your integrity and your integrity in mine. yeah and not putting out anything that we're we we would not be proud
0: of does that make sense yeah it does now that probably exists across different genres oh i'm sure you know like i'm sure that there are punk bands and metal bands who have been told by their label you know this note here just doesn't work for us or you know what we're going to we're going to cut this verse here and and we'd really like you to go back and, and rewrite this you know
2: i think there's something though in christian music
0: where they think they can get away with it a little bit more the labels yeah yeah like, and you're probably right i mean we have probably stricter standards of acceptability and i don't mean in the graphic nature of content but probably the agreeability of content you know they they can probably hear something and say you know what our audience is pretty predictable we don't think they're going to like this part or you know what we'd really appreciate you if you took this part out to that end actually that that lauren daigle christmas album i mentioned earlier i don't think was produced by her regular label i don't think they wanted to print it it was not in the norm it wasn't chris tomlin it wasn't yeah you know, it wasn't this? It wasn't that. So yeah. I say that because he also has a Christmas album.
1: He does, <laughs> probably more than one. Uh, so, can I be honest? With yeah, the yeah, first time I heard Lauren Daigle, I thought it was a different secular artist doing Christian songs. I no joke. I, I'm, just,
0: there's a, just there, me. There does seem to be a certain element of that in contemporary Christian music. Adele. There have been times I tuned in, you know, to Air One or something else, and I thought. Wow, this this sounds like someone is just trying to be the Christian version of Nicki Minaj. Yes, or you know what this this really sounds like someone's trying to do a Katy Perry song, but they rewrote the lyrics. You know, um, actually, not that any of us are supposed to watch South Park, right? But years ago, and I'm talking years ago. I think I was still in high school when this came out. They did a whole episode that was a play on this, uh-huh. where Cartman, he's the fat one with all the evil schemes. For those who have never seen the show. Um, says, you know what? I got this great get-rich-quick scheme. Let's start a Christian band, and we'll just basically cover all these secular songs, but we'll change the words. So they started doing all these like love songs and jazz songs, but they were just changing. Like they would just insert the word Jesus into certain lines, and they end up like topping the charts. <laughs> and they play in front of these huge sellout crowds. And Faith Plus One was the name of the band, by the way. So- Don't ask me why I remember that. But, no yeah.
1: joke. There really is a published Christian band that does exactly that. I mean, exactly. And and because you can do a parody of a song and use somebody's riffs and lyrics, and but if you change them and say, no, we're doing a parody, you don't have to pay any That's royalty. It's totally legal. Yeah. Um. So there's a band out there called Apologetics, and they'll take like "Sweet Child of Mine," play the exact same song and call it Sweet God of Mine, and put it out there. And I don't know how I ended up with them, but I have a couple of their CDs at the house. Yeah, people buy it.
0: Who's, oh, now I can't remember his name. Who's the guy who did that song, um, I Want to Be a Clone? Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor. That's Tell us one. about Steve Taylor a little bit. What do you appreciate about him? Um, So if you listen to him musically, he
1: sounds dated, but when he came out back in the 80s, he was probably, I think... He was considered punk rock and and banned in a lot of Christian bookstores. But his whole take on it is the song I Want to Be a Clone," is satirical in that it's saying the Christians are telling a newly saved person, unless you're like one of us, you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I just want to go tell people about my newfound faith. And it's like, hey, give it 20 years or so, you know? <laughs> you know, get seasoned a little bit, then maybe you can share be more like us. So be a clone and kiss conviction good night. <laughs> Cloneliness is next to godliness. Wow. Is is lyric. I have that on my phone too. Is there awesome.
0: is there radical honesty in there? Oh I guess there always has to be in satire, right? Otherwise it just wouldn't be funny. Yeah, no, definitely.
2: I might have to listen to this. Um sounds fun.
0: Oh yeah, great, great lyrical content. Let's uh, let's sort of take you know a more ten thousand foot view here. We'll sort of back off contemporary Christian music for a minute. Let me just ask you guys because you guys are both musicians, um, and you guys are in the in the sphere of loving, making, and appreciating music. Certainly on a again a greater level than I do, I think. What, what makes music like fun for you guys? What what is what is music really meant like in your life? Like what would your life be different if you didn't love music as much as you do? So I, I think me and Rex have talked in the past where personality
1: wise we're similar to each other, a little bit introverted. And um so I would escape. Music was my escape. Now I grew up being bullied a lot of my youth, being Asian in a extremely white neighborhood and having people point that out and wanting to kick your butt, just for that very fact, you know, it was either kill myself or find an escape. Thus the music and and sports for me. Um, But yeah, music is just, I can't picture my life without it. My dad got me started early on it. And I just remember sitting in the living room and this is back when reel to reels were, like if you were cool, you had a reel, to real player, not an LP. Wow. Yeah, and and we'd listen to real Herb Albert, uh, groups like the Fifth Dimension, and, and we'd listen to those, and that's where some of those influenced. So I I listened to that stuff and I learned to love it, and listen to the qualities. You know, um, I guess I was already assessing production values. Wow. And, and yeah, you
2: it, you had an ear for it even then.
1: Yeah, and I could—I just like the way the Fifth Dimension layered their vocals and did those harmonies. And, and you know, that's why I like the Beach Boys to this day, because of the harmonies. I grew up listening to the
2: Beach Boys, too, yeah, actually. I mean,
1: it's just, how can you not like and appreciate, even if you don't love the music itself, the harmonies and some of the aspects of what they were doing? And then when you go back to, like, the Beatles and look at the time they came out, which was before your time and probably yours, Nobody was doing what they were doing musically. They were like the very first. So you go, wow, these guys were kind of cheesy and their guitars didn't sound great. But nobody knew what to make them sound like. You know, Mm -hmm. that was new territory. And it kind of grew from there. Then you had the Rolling Stones, which had that bad boy image and, and all the other bands that, you know, and then the 70s happened and rock went crazy.
2: So did listening to that kind of music make you feel cooler?
1: I don't know if it was cooler. I just enjoyed it. I just loved hearing music.
2: Yeah, for me, listening to music growing up was always an escape as well. And being able to um, just lock myself in my room for hours on end and listen to music and be able to just push away the world, being able to escape, being able to forget experiences like you described, I was also picked on because I was super nerdy, very skinny, and very shy which just made me a target yeah coming home being able to listen to music being like okay this this is cool this is like this is something that i can put my time into it became a hobby for me i i remember laying down i have a guitar in that closet that was my first guitar it's just this little fender squire it was maybe 120 bucks at the time i remember playing and just listening to a cd on my stereo had it had my guitar i was laying down on the floor the guitar was on my chest and I was just, like, so in the zone that, like, nothing else mattered. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, I, I nothing know that. else mattered. To the point where I think I even fell asleep because I was just so, like, peaceful. Just just playing something and, and, just, and just fell asleep.
1: I still do that.
2: Yeah? Yeah. On your guitar?
1: Not on my guitar, but oh. I'll put headphones on.
2: How many guitars do you have at your house?
1: I'm not exactly sure. Six or seven.
2: And how many do you pull off the wall and play on a given week? One or two. You need to play more, man. I. Uh, you can't have that much.
1: I know love for music and then don't put any time into playing. Well, it's well, you know, the balance of providing for a family. Yeah, you know, and I yeah. feel. You know, I've got this work ethic where you know I don't know when to stop, and my wife has to slap me upside the head and say stop. I just want to get you on our worship team.
0: Uh, i i want to too yeah well apparently the three of us were all a bunch of dorks when we were i used to get i used to get beat up and picked on too i actually would get like physically assaulted at school on a pretty regular basis me too um kids would follow me home for whatever reason i guess because i had a bunch of clothes that didn't fit and i didn't grow up nearly as quickly as i grew out uh which obviously is still a problem for me Mm -hmm. but um These really nasty rumors that like we were poor and that I was like living on the streets got spread around and, you know, I didn't do myself any favors like in middle school when I let my curly hair grow out and started to get kind of, you know, matted together and stuff because I didn't know how to take care of it or anything. Uh, So, yeah, pretty much up until high school would get like bullied and beat up and music for me was also I don't really want to call it an escape because I never felt like it took me out of my frustration, those old hatreds, my white hot anger at these other kids, my confusion as to why they were doing this to me. Like, wouldn't it be better if we were just friends? Isn't that easier than following me home? Like, wouldn't you rather follow me home and then get a cookie afterwards, <laughs> you know? And we can all hang out and play N64 or whatever. Right, or yeah. uh, but, you know, bands like Metallica, Social Distortion... Offspring, Misfits, had these songs that had this aggression and this noise and sometimes the lyrical content that I just needed Hmm. to express all of that anger I was feeling at a higher level. So did it help you get it out of you? Yeah, like it needed to come out and I couldn't do it on my own. Um, Obviously, I couldn't play any of that kind of music. I still can't because I'm an idiot and I have never successfully played anything but uh yes you have i guess i did you rock played? that djembe pretty good you, but, um, you, you were awesome but you know at that time it was it really was like this fast loud aggressive sound that i needed in my life to get through some of those chapters um i don't really know what that music means to <laughs> to me now other than the fact that I love it I don't listen to it for nostalgia but it is still this like beautiful sound that speaks to my heart even though there's no longer like all of this hatred and anger right it just still has this certain energy that I love and connect with and really want to share with other people let me ask you this
1: when you listen to that music now with the faith that you have now how do you feel about it like i recently started listening again to good charlotte and just because of their first two albums i kind of liked and then they kind of got weird and i gave up on them and then i saw them on amazon music and they had a bunch of newer albums i started listening to them and they kind of went back to them and and i listened to that music looking for you know whatever um I don't think it's a bad thing as a Christian to listen to secular music because it connects with you on so many different levels. Um, that's why I guess I wish Christian artists would just be more honest yeah. and real.
2: Well, maybe that's maybe it's not so much that you should seek to listen to secular music, but that the Christian genre just doesn't provide as much.
1: Well, I think we're technically called to go be out there. Yeah. You know, I don't know how we set up the subculture of
0: Christendom. And that's why I like Steve Taylor, because he writes songs about that. You know, it's unfortunate that time is such as it is. This has really been a riot. I hope our audience has enjoyed it. Um, but we do we do have to sort of bring this to a nice, healthy end. Yes, um,
2: I know we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. But we, we have one segment I want to do together, and then we got to call it. Uh, I want to do a Stump Chuck segment, but this is going to be a special guest version. So what we're going to do, I'm going to actually quiz you guys on your two favorite bands. So Chuck, I'm going to have three questions for you that have to do with Metallica. Okay. And Fred, I'm going to have three questions for you that are going to have to do with Kiss. Hmm. And then whoever has the most correct Uh, will win or if it's a tie i have a final tiebreaker question and then whoever's the first to answer will be the winner tonight sound good sounds great all right so what i'm gonna do i'm actually gonna start with fred i'm gonna ask you one and then i'll switch over and ask you one and we'll go back and forth all right fred you do like kiss a little bit you have a, a couple of collective items memorabilia in your household correct just a little yeah yeah You've probably listened to them for basically your whole adult life.
1: And then some. All right. So if you
2: get any of these wrong, we can bag on you like forever, right? Probably. Okay. Fred, your first question. What is Eric Carr's real name?
1: I know the last name is Paul Caravello.
2: Correct. All right. Pressure's on, Chuck. Here we go. Your first question is, which Metallica album was released before Death Magnetic.
0: Well, it's it's Saint Anger. Yeah. Yep. Saint Anger. Correct. Correct. <laughs> what 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 do you want to say? Well, they just it's almost difficult to define because they yeah. had they had a lot of live recordings that they published on their website and I don't know if those count. So No.
2: Fred, for your number 2 question, finish this song title. I need you I think Gene Simmons should be president. I can't even right now. Or I was made for loving you.
1: Yeah, I was made for loving you. <laughs> right.
0: That was pretty soft. That was. Bro. No. Yeah, that was pretty.
1: I wanted to give him
2: a solid chance, and I wanted. To, I just didn't want this to be a walk in the park for you, Chuck. Okay. All right, here we go, Chuck. Your number. Your number two question is: Who was the original bassist for Metallica?
0: I believe his name was. Ron McGovney? Rob McGovney?
2: Ron McGovney. You got it right the first yeah. time. All right. Good job. They later
0: picked up Cliff Burton before they recorded All."
2: Going to Fred, your third and final question about KISS. What was the name of KISS's first album? KISS. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> For a bonus point, what year did it come out?
1: 73.
2: Incorrect.
1: 74? 74. The news, okay. they recorded it in 73 then. You yeah. can
2: get your bonus point. Yeah. All right. Chuck has a chance here. Uh, your number three question is, what was the name of Metallica's first album?
0: Does that include demo tapes or? no? Nope. Okay, Kill Them All.
2: Correct. For your bonus point, what year did that come out?
0: Let's see. The band formed in 81, 1982.
2: Oop. Ah, was... 1983. Oh. very close. You both. Right. I guess 84. So, yeah. all right. So we are at a tie. Uh-oh. So I'm going to ask a tiebreaker question. Now, this isn't about either of those bands, but it is still about a musician. You guys ready? The first yeah. one to answer is, and answers correctly.
0: What if neither of us
2: get it? Well, win. You you will. Uh, you don't have to wait for me to finish if you think you know the answer. In what unusual institutions? Did Johnny Cash record a number of live albums? Prison. I think we got to give it to Fred on that one. Yeah, because
0: prisons is more accurate. It is. Because he did it in more than Folsom. He also did San Quentin.
2: Yep. And he said it, he technically said prison before you did. Yeah. So we're going to give it to Fred.
0: All right. That's fine. That's (laughs) fine. I'm okay with that.
2: All right, Chuck. Our guest one. Thank you for being our first guest on this podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, well, we'll have to have you back sometime to maybe continue Uh, the music and media conversations. Yeah, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure
2: we can do many episodes on music, and we can and we will. We'll spread them out, but we'll get them.
0: Yeah. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to follow us on the internet, uh, feel free to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, possibly Twitter. See, this is why you had to tell me beforehand.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Twitter. I'm sure we're there. (laughs) Right. Instagram. Feel Twitter, free to Facebook. look for us
0: on whatever social media platforms you prefer at Podcast, and visit our website at RARCPodcast.com. Whether you've enjoyed this episode or absolutely hated it, we'd love your feedback and comments and hate mail. So please feel free to write us at info at RARCPodcast.com or even contact at rarcpodcast.com feel free to subscribe to us on whatever podcasting platform you prefer we're available on spotify itunes google play and other podcast subscription apps thank you so much for tuning in this has been episode seven of run Amuck with rex and chuck